You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for another gorgeous day. I thank you for another day, Lord, that we can be together. What a privilege to be together. And I thank you so much for each person that has been able to attend different seminars offered here at Camp Meeting. I ask, Lord, that you fill their cup to overflowing so that they may have many things to share to their loved ones when they go back home. Lord, may we make it a real and practical application and not just a head thing where we we just think we learn more about you, but we don't know how to apply it to our lives. Teach us how to hear your spirit talking to us throughout the day. Thank you so much for the gift of nature. And Lord, may we be wonderful caretakers of the gift and may we show your love to others. All right, so here we go. Uh, how many of you, I need to get a little bit of a feel of this classroom. How many of you are currently or have homeschooled? Okay. How many of you currently have a classroom and that you're teaching in currently? Okay. And then maybe how many of you guys um, are involved at your church in Sabbath school or in, because, all right. And then um, <laughs> who's here to come and play outside? All right. <laughs> Everybody, right? Okay, cool. So now I have a better idea. So this is the way that I have started to change the way I do teaching. Now, I don't believe in throwing out the whole baby with the bathwater, and so therefore I enjoy books very much, and I don't mind textbooks, and I don't mind working through different things because if you think about it, we are made in the image of God, and he is a creator. So when we are creative and we create things, that's not wrong. And so when we're working on physics, somebody created that. And it's okay to learn physics, even if it's man's thoughts, because we are creators. And we should be building upon other people's knowledge and, and learning from them. And so what I simply, if you don't know where to start, I just say change, change the focus of where you look. <laughs> All right, so a couple couple places to start is in your library. The first thing I did when I had my classroom is I went through my library books and I tried to get rid of all the cartoony books unless they had great lessons. I didn't get rid of everything. And then I tried to fill my library with as many real life animal picture books as I could. It was incredible to me. When I taught kindergarten first and second in Holland, do you know oh it kind of drove me insane, but the books that were their favorites. Do you have any idea what were their favorites? I almost threw them out because at the beginning of the year I had gone through my books and I was like, I don't know which books to keep. And I almost got rid of them. Praise God I didn't. But their favorite books that all of them would go to for story time, please tell me how you read all these for story time, but it was these old encyclopedias. Brown and ugly and falling apart, but these were their favorite books because they were filled with animals and pictures, but not even that many pictures. There was a whole lot of words if you ask me. Nothing like this beautiful book. Uh, with big pictures that take up the whole page. It was just, you know, like tiny little old pictures. But these were the books that they were the most fascinated with. And they're like, read us about this, read us about this, because it had pictures of really strange-looking creatures in it. Um, and they loved it. And so you'd be like, the scientific name, blah, blah, and it grows to <laughs> You're like, really? And they're all like looking at you. 
okay, this is our story time. It only has this one little picture. I'm like, I'd rather read about Froggy, you know, but they love these. They just love. So I would encourage you, a lot of people don't even know what to do with old encyclopedias anymore. They throw them out. But if there's animal pictures in them, your kids will love them, and they pour through it. So just start putting animal books in your classroom or in your home, and they love that. The second area that I would do is when you think of your space, you need to think of a outdoor learning laboratory, okay? So whether it's at your home or at your church or at your school, what is your landscape that you could turn into the outdoor classroom? So for example, could you cut down trees and make little seats that you sit on and make a circle and all sit around in a circle and could that be a special classroom? And for those of you who want to help change Remember how nature deficit disorder is seen in communities? It's also seen in our church families. So if you don't know where to start and you're sitting in this room, start suggesting that you have one a year outdoor Sabbath and, and get your church families out enjoying nature. Because this isn't just something that can change your child and you. This is something that could shift if your whole church, and I forgot to mention this yesterday or the day before, but remember how we, remember how we talked about how creativity um, is inspired always, but sometimes it has a different tempo depending on what inspires it. So what if our church board meetings met outside? Just, I mean, it's not like we'd even talk about nature, but just allowing God to be constantly speaking to you. You don't even know what kind of ideas. So our school boards, so you just what happens? Suggest that your school board meets outside. I wonder, I don't know. I don't wonder if there'd be less contention sometimes just because you're outside and you're not feeling a stress. Maybe you have you know, budget issues and all these kind of things, but simply because we know, right, we've, we've seen in this week that if you go outside, your blood pressure goes down, right? So if we're all happier and we all feel more at peace, we'd be able to accomplish more in our, in our board meetings. So whenever you're having a planning meeting, can you, can you take it outside? For any of you, for a business, for anything that you do, can you think about meetings that you have and can you do them outside instead of inside, right? So the whole point of this class today is what can you do that you're doing now that you need to do because we live in a world and there's different things that we have to fit into in this world, but how can you shift it so you're spending more time outside? Okay. Uh, did, did you have something, sir? I think. Okay. The other thing that I would suggest is that, and everybody has different amounts of area to work in. But in Holland, we happen to be on, I don't know how many acres is Holland School and Church on, but years ago I heard that there was a, a trail that went around the entire premises of the campus. And so when I was there, and unfortunately I didn't get to finish it, but I have to say it really taught me a valuable lesson about where people's hearts are if given a chance. Because when I asked for help that I was going to build this trail, I had eight fathers show up to help me build this trail. And they just came, it was a Sunday morning, and they gave up their time, their family time, and their work time, because you know, Father's Sundays, they're trying to get stuff done because they're busy during the week. But when they heard that I wanted to build a trail for their kids to take them outside, I had fathers that showed up. Another thing that's super cool is in Michigan, I don't know about any other state, but I know in Michigan, the your electrical lines, they have to cut trees down often, and they make it into chips. And they often don't know what to do with these chips. They will give them to you for free at your school. My father told me about this. I wasn't really sure about it, but I was taking my little kiddos on a little field trip to go sing at the nursing home. 
And I saw these guys doing this with, with trees. And I said, Lord, and I told them in the car, I said, guys, pray, because we had to go be at this nursing home at a certain time. I said, pray that they're still here when we're done singing for the nursing home. And when we came back, they were still there. So I pulled over to the car and I went and talked to them. And they told me, this company, I don't remember now which one it was, but they said that they, their company designates 30 hours a year to volunteer projects. So they will cut, they will come and cut trees on your property or they will come and do work for you on your property as part of like their goodwill towards the community or something like that. So it's really worth networking. Often we bubbleize ourselves and we're like, we're just going to accomplish this. The other idea too that I would have is you can make your school a, a um, registered conservation area. So if you have somebody from a local nature center come to your property, they can look around and say, okay, you have this many native plants or if you take out these invasive species, then you're now considered something that's helping Michigan support Michigan's life, wildlife, and different things like that. Plus, they can teach you all about identification <laughs> when you're trying to go through the identification book. Okay, what is that? But they can teach you, and they're willing to come to your property. So it's definitely worth thinking about what resources you have in your area, whether it's a nature center, and just talk about them. Talk to them. You know, I want to. They're going to be very excited that there's somebody around that isn't just a little nature center, that we have the little 20 acres in Holland preserved for the wildlife, they're going to be super excited that somebody's home wants to become something or somebody's school or church. And so you just need to start. The biggest thing is you have to put new glasses on and say, how can I get outside more? How can I encourage my church? How can I encourage my community to get outside? So when we, when we were going to build the trail, then the company dumped piles and piles of chips. But unfortunately, I left Holland before I was able to spread the chips around and it just didn't work out because of the timing was at the end of the school year and you leave in May and it was just, I kept planning. I was like, I'm going to come back. And I still think I might go back to Holland one day and just build the trail myself because <laughs> it was so close. And I think you have so many possibilities because then you could turn it into a prayer, a prayer walk like at Camp Osable. And you could have the kids be the ones that make the signs and you laminate them and you put them up and then you take them down every year. You can, the possibilities are endless when you make a trail. You could have them make a nature guide where they pick it up and they go through the little journey with the nature guidebook that they themselves created. And they have them doing research and you have them doing writing and all sorts of really cool things. When you look at your space and you say, how can I make my outdoor space a classroom? Okay. Some other ideas are um, encouraging, encouraging, and this, this is, I know everyone has different feelings about this, but I think it's really awesome if we can make, have you guys ever heard that saying, if your church closed, would anybody notice? So I know we're uncomfortable bringing different like strangers on our school grounds and onto our church grounds, but what if you open it to the community? What if you had a trail that was open to the community? Or what if on your land at your school, it was the community garden for the community? And Allegan, I don't know if any of you guys live near Allegan or drive through Allegan, but when you drive through Allegan on M40, before you take a left to continue to follow M40, there's a little old baseball plot, uh, not a baseball, I'm sorry, an old abandoned, like there was a house on that lot, but now it's been turned into a community garden. And I don't know how much it gets used, but I was doing some research about that at one point, and they find that communities that put community gardens have less crime. Um, and it was just really interesting. So... What if at your church property you're willing to set up a community garden? I don't know how many people would come or not come, but what opportunities can you create in your community or in your home to encourage people to get outside more? Uh, because if you want your kids to develop deeper learning, it's got to first start with being comfortable to be outside. You can't expect them to go deep and get in the mud and 
learn all the things that you can if they're just not even comfortable being outside. All right, so some other ideas. Well, let's take a break from that for a minute. Well, let me think. Okay, so outdoor classroom, books, and then um, you have to get your parents on board, all right? Because it's going to look, learning is going to look different. So on my supply list, when I taught K-2, you have the crayons, the colored pencils, the, all the different needs, the paper, but I had rain boots on my supply list. Rain boots was my number one item on my supply list because I wanted to be able to take them outside and go in the mud, and so rain boots was, was just on my supply list. And my parents were really game, but I told them, and I had this one little girl who every single day, she wore this really cute, these cute little outfits with leggings, pink leggings, and they came every day covered in dirt and mud. And the mother said, it's okay, they can be washed. And she just was really supportive because my kids were in the dirt. They were kneeling, they were exploring, they were coloring, they were sitting outside, and they were in the dirt. A super, if you don't know where to start, with any kind of learning outside, I would say start with sit spots. So once again, think about your area and give your child an area that they can sit that they keep going out to. Maybe it's where they read a book, maybe it's where they make observations and you can use a, we did it down at this little creek, I had a little creek in front of Holland and in the trees and they took a yarn and they were allowed, I would suggest that you can sometimes just do a sit spot where they're not allowed to move or you can yarn off a little area where they have a little bit of freedom to move. And then let them watch how the, how the area changes through the seasons. Let them watch how it changes in spring and fall and winter and the different things and see if there's little tracks that come along their little area. So if you don't know where to, where to start with learning, just start with a sit spot. And they can take their journals out there when you have the little journal prompts. They can take um, their books out there when you have reading time. When you are doing social studies or science, they can sit in their sit spot. Make it so they feel as comfortable in a sit spot as they do at a desk because they need that familiarity where it's like, this is my learning spot. This is where I learn because at first it's not going to be that I learn outside and they need to make that connection. And it's okay if it's going to happen involuntary, right? You don't want that directed attention that we talked about, but where it happens because they're excited about it. But if they start sitting in their sit spot and they start learning for themselves, they're going to, inquiry is going to happen and that's what you want more than just the rote learning, correct? Um, a couple of book ideas that I just want to show you really quick because I keep forgetting to show these. So I want to do it now before I forget and they're on my head. But here is, if you've ever heard of Project Wild or Project Wet, these are books that give you all sorts of ideas um, about how to get outside and what to do with them with deeper learning, with observing different animals and observing habitats and all those kind of things. So have a look. I would definitely not suggest buying all of them because this takes a lot of work to do these lesson plans. And so just make sure that you just take a look. This is something to be more aware of how to take care of our environment and to realize that we all live a, leave a carbon footprint. And um, you can take, just say what you're saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not getting your sign language. <laughs> um, this is Animal Tracks, and this is all about how to 
be better caretakers, which we talked about, you know, the fact that God gave us a command in Genesis to be caretakers of the earth and that we have dominion. And so this is, this shows you, for example, how much water you use when you take a shower versus how much water you use when you take a bath and how much water we could save if everyone just fixed their dripping faucets. <laughs> and all sorts of cool things, but I think that in order for our kids to appreciate nature, they have to also learn that they make a footprint on nature. You know, you've heard the leave no trace when you go camping and stuff. That concept they get, but they don't understand that when they choose just to wad up a piece of paper and throw it away that that costs something. Right? Like, why well, I, I wasn't using it. But you could fully use it to a bigger extent. And you have to model that. So start a recycling program. Reuse. Have scratch paper. Do all those kind of things. Why not? Well, that's another conversation. But in short... It's go all ahead. reused. It's all recycled. Uh-huh. And it uses no power, any kind of energy to, for me to, to turn on the water. <laughs> well, we can have different. That's okay. Um, <laughs> this one is Journey Toward the Caring Classroom, and basically this one just gives you fun bonding ideas, game ideas to, it's like adventure-based counseling. I told you I took that class for my master's, adventure-based counseling, and so it's, it's a great book if you're doing Pathfinders. <laughs> um, this would be the kind of book I would suggest for Pathfinders. If you're a homeschooler, I would definitely get this book. This is called Nature Conduction, an outdoor workbook for kids, families, and classrooms. And it's just super well done, and it's super fun. And if you're a grandparent, or it, you could just work through it when your grandchild came over. And there's lots of fun things to do in here, and it gives you lots of ideas to do based on the month and all that kind of fun thing. But it's, it's not maybe something I would get for every student in my classroom, because that would probably cost a lot. But it would just be a way that I could start getting my family outside. Um, one of my teachers from my master's asked me one time, and I'm going to ask, ask you guys, is the moon waxing or waning? Okay, so, except for two of you, all of you get Fs. <laughs> because my, my outdoor ed teacher said, if you don't know if the moon is waxing or waning, that means you are not outside enough. Because it's not hard to know if you've outlooked at it, right? Now, some of you probably are like, well, I go to bed. Good job. Um, <laughs> um, so maybe at summertime, it's kind of unfair to be able to say if the moon is waxing or waning because you're one of those people who are really good at going to bed before nine. I want to be like you when I grow up. Actually, right now. <laughs> but um, one of my teachers, when I was actually at Global Junior Academy, had us do moon journals. And at the time, I think I remember thinking it was a silly assignment. And kids might think some of this outdoor stuff is silly, but it plants seeds. It plants seeds. And what I think I didn't realize, that all the things that I grew up doing, whether it was the trips out west with my parents, seeing all the national parks, whether it was um, raising monarch butterflies when I was a little girl in Mrs. Coffee's classroom, whether it was the bug collection or the Pathfinder honors, it planted a desire to be outside. It gave me a familiarity. And so even if kids are like, this is dumb or this is weird, later on it's so funny because as a kid, you know what we always had to do on family vacation? Find the waterfalls. Literally, we'd be driving along, camp one place, and the next morning my mom was like, did you see that waterfall way back there? Let's go back. It's like a two-hour drive back. But we go back in Colorado. It actually ends up being one of our favorite waterfalls. It was just alongside the road. And we hiked down and we explored. One time we hiked 11 miles to see a waterfall. <laughs> I mean, and my mother 
I love her very dearly. But at Yellowstone, you know, there's the, the, the different viewing platforms of the falls. You know, she wants to go to every viewing. We went to every one of all the falls. I don't even remember how many falls there are anymore there. Yellowstone is not one of my favorite places to go. But what's hilarious is now, guess what I do? Plan my vacations around waterfalls. When I went to Switzerland, I made a list of all the waterfalls in Switzerland. And how many could I check off? And it's just so funny to me because... You know, we pick up our traits from our parents, both good and bad. <laughs> and as much as I was like, I'm sick of waterfalls, and we have this famous picture in our in our photo books because I'm up against a rock and my tongue's out because I'm done. And I'm like, Ugh. and my dad is mocking me in the picture because I was just complaining. I was like, why do we always have to hike? And now what do I want to do? Let's hike, guys. I'll like make the backpacking chips around. There might be a waterfall. And it's a trip ship. And I'm like, well, guys, there's a waterfall. <laughs> so... You just don't know what seeds you're planting. And that's why the biggest thing, if you just get nothing else, just start taking them outside. If you don't know where to start in your classroom because you're overwhelmed by the different standards you have to meet, get blankets. This is this was my classroom. I taught English here at Great Lakes for a year, and I had them all bring their camping chairs. Some of the parents lost some camping chairs, I guess, because they didn't pick them up again. But um, there was camping chairs in my corner. There was a tub of blankets because you can't expect them all to be comfortable to sit on the ground. Your little ones, they will be okay. But after about second or third grade, they're very aware of bugs and ant things calling on them. So let them be comfortable at first. Let them have blankets. And I just had a tub of blankets in my classroom. And every time, because in English, uh, it's not always super easy to use the nature to teach English. There's some things, but sometimes I just let them write outside or reread outside. You can bring your social studies books outside and read outside. Just try to get outside as much as you can. Because believe it or not, you're not out as much as you think you are. You're very rarely out as much as you think you are. <laughs> so have camp chairs, have blankets, help them to be comfortable. So back to the, um, the assignment. So we kept a moon journal, and this is a whole book of ideas of how to do a bunch of stuff with moons and moon journaling. And we were supposed to draw the moon every night, and that was all we were supposed to do. But you could take that further. You can have them write. You can have them do poetry. You can have them do haikus and tankas about moons, you know? And by the way, the moon is waxing, which means it's waxing greater. So it's going to be a full moon very soon. The other night, it was very close. I feel like the full moon might be tonight or tomorrow night. You think it's today? Yeah, I'm pretty sure because when I was looking at the other two nights ago, I said, oh, we're getting close. I wonder if we're going to get the full moon at camp meeting. Um, so very cool. So tonight is going to be the full moon. Well, then I'm going to have to make sure I go out and look up and that hopefully it's not a cloudy day. But just realizing that... We were designed for cycles, right? They tried that experiment in France where they didn't do the seven-day week, and it didn't work. So God created us for cycles, and if we observe nature, it's full of cycles. And something that we were talking about yesterday with my group when we went out for the wonder walk was the fact that very much in nature, there's cycles. You don't get upset and you don't cry when the tree loses its leaves, Right? because you know the leaves are coming back. <laughs> and things die in nature and, be, and things come back. That's spring and fall and winter and all those kind of things. Well, there's going to be cycles in your life. We live in a sinful world, and so there's going to be times that you conquer things, and then you thought you conquered patience, and then a newer situation arises, and you realize you really haven't conquered patience. <laughs> and so life just, and it's okay. And if you if you let nature relax you and show you that we live in a sinful world, and I have no idea, I honestly, there's a lot of questions that people have about heaven. My question is, what is my mother going to do with all the flowers? Because I want to pick her flowers, and flowers never die. So I want to know what my mother is going to do with all the flowers. Like, seriously, 
Like, that's the questions I have because everything in nature so depends on the life cycle and death, and everything is grown out of death. For example, forests, they go through successions, right? And we think fires are so bad, but fires are actually necessary for forests to move through their successions, right? And so actually you should get excited when you see a bird because that means new life is going to happen. Are there going to be fires in heaven? You know, it's, there's nature in heaven. I'm mind-boggled by how it's going to work, and I'm very excited. But, uh, yeah, so just getting your kids, if you don't know where to start, start with a journal and have them just observe some processes that happen in nature. And then you can go to math. You can go to science. That's the one thing about, and maybe you feel like it's, I'm talking scattered, because in a way, <laughs> nature-based education is scattered and the fact that it easily covers so many different subjects. You can take it to math. You can take it to science. You can take it to English. That's why for those of you who are comfortable with the books and working through the books, that's okay. But just any time a subject looks like it could be taught outside, take the risk and take it outside and see where else the learning goes. Yeah, Rachel. There are a couple ones um, that do some nature things, but I haven't found that's completely. So all things bright and beautiful do some nature things. There's a free, have you guys heard of, there's a, I should definitely mention this, there's a free Seventh-day Adventist resource called Sunlight Education. Sunlight Education is completely free, and you're going to be a little bit overwhelmed by how many resources there are there. There's a lot, it, it, a lot, like a lot. She has music, and she has things for human body, and there's just a plethora. If you don't know where to start, I would suggest just starting with the family Bible lessons for worships. And even if you're in the classroom, just using those for worships in the classroom can be very helpful. But Sunlight Education is an incredible resource that does a lot of things outside. A um, couple other books. Uh, Project Learning Tree, has, this is for pre-K through 8. It's a bunch of ideas to get outside. But what's, what I find difficult about these books is in the education realm, we work through very specific parts of science, and you have this amount of time, and this takes a lot of time. So don't feel like you have to get these books, but if you just did one idea a year, for example, if you just did one unit that was really practical and outside, then you accomplished something big. It's okay if you didn't use 10, 15, 25 lessons out of these books, but if you used one and you developed a unit that you did every year that got them outside doing moon, uh, studying the moon and stars, and how the sky goes through the sky. Like, we don't realize this. Well, we don't go through the sky. But you know what I'm saying. The sky changes throughout the year. And we don't realize that. And the kids think the sky always look this, looks the same. But the sky is different as we're all rotating, right? So that's why I'm not trying to be like, oh, get all of these. But um, if you could just get one lesson and add one lesson to your school year, a year, that would be huge. You know, we do like Native American units in school, and we do, we're all about units, so add one outdoor unit, just one, and you've accomplished something big for the school year. Because <laughs> as a teacher, it's overwhelming, right? It's extremely overwhelming, all the things you have to accomplish. So if you just did one unit outside, you don't even know the possibilities that that can grow out of. Nature's Playground, um, this is... Basically, this one is just craft ideas of using different plants and different trees and different things like that to make really cool crafts and how to, like, mash up berries and make dye and how to take leaves 
and make things out of leaves and what you could even use to paint on trees. That's not going to hurt them, but you could paint on trees with the different um, mixtures they give you, ideas of berries and stuff. So that's this one. Could be helpful to some, could not be helpful to others. This one, if you're a parent, this one's fantastic. 15 minutes outside. Just a way to like get creative with different ideas to get outside because we just want to create. And if, what if, for example, at your church you had a fifth, maybe that's too long, a five-minute nature feature every Sabbath where you just started. Because do you guys remember when I feel like maybe it was just at my church, but we used to have a nature nugget, right? At Goebbels, at Nature Nugget, every Sabbath, I remember somebody would get up and have a nature nugget. So let's put nature nuggets back into our church services. doesn't have to be something super long, but we just need to realize that people are not getting out. They're not looking out ever. So if you just had a little feature every Sabbath of something that's going on and make it practical of nature, things that they see. Help them learn some trees and plants in their area so they can get excited. Your church family will get excited. Like, be don't be surprised that they don't know the difference between a maple and an oak. And it's, it's just because our society has moved so far away that we're just not looking and we're not doing tree identification. So you could simply just go through the trees, and that could take you 13 Sabbaths to go through the trees, and then 13 Sabbaths to go through birds. Please, Mr. Beasley, teach me about birds. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of nature, even if you feel like you are at a setting where your home's right in a community and you have no nature around, we can always look up. <laughs> and there's great things to look with different kinds of clouds. Teach them about different kinds of clouds, you know, uh, cumulus or nimbostratus or stratus. Or There's lots of different things if we just can even learn to look up. One thing that with the Wonder Walk yesterday, that my partner and I, we were talking, we're like, where do the clouds come from? Like, is it possible that they're formed, but do they blow all the way from Indonesia? Like, do we have clouds above us from Arizona? Or did our clouds form... I don't know how far they travel, and I don't know, something really cool to, to think about. Today, they're coming out of Wisconsin, the UP. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I guess Indonesia was a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> but um, these ones, I, I've showed you before, but they just show you all the um, kids' guides to God's creation and kids' guide to Bible animals. Uh, these ones, we talked about the gospel according to different, um, dandelion, blade of grass, snowflake. This one, these ones are super old and super cool. I actually found them years ago when I was doing my first presentation at camp meeting. And they tell you and teach you about all the mammals mentioned in the Bible. In Leviticus, you don't know what those things are. And Bible plants, Bible birds. Just super cool things where you could just get up front at your church, you know, or in your Sabbath school classes and be like, have you ever heard of, got to find something, a chicken, yeah, I'm sure you've heard of a chicken, um, a bee eater, yeah, so then, have you ever heard of a bee eater? Of course you've heard of a bee eater. <laughs> but anyways, you could learn about something new and help to, that way when they open through the Bible, they get excited about the hard chapters to read because there's a familiarity and association. This is if you're leading Pathfinders, Lessons of the Way, Adventure, and the Way of Jesus. It's, it's adventure-based counseling using God and the outdoors. Um, oh, this is a huge one. If you don't know where to start, start on Sabbath. You have no idea how to include nature more in your life. Start on Sabbath. Oof, my time. Okay. We're going outside in five minutes. I knew this was going to be difficult. Don't worry. Like, the handouts are self-explanatory, so I'm not going over them, but they're just math ideas and science ideas. 
and I will email you language art ideas and a couple of other ideas. This was just me trying to get as many, like a mind shift, because I think that's the biggest step that you could do right now is just stop and think, how many different ways can I just start to get outside? Or what can I change with my church and school? Yes, sorry. Yeah, like it's okay if you are in your structure, just start with a journal or start one thing that I think is super cool. Uh, is a, an idea that I want to do if I ever have a family is a wonder bowl. So there's a bowl designated in the living room um, or in the a dining room table that they can bring something in from nature every day and they are allowed to bring nature inside. And then at the dinner table, we talk about something cool that they found. And just, just so they understand that we love nature in the house and that we're excited about anything we find. So just start a Wonder Bowl in your classroom where they're allowed to. My kiddos love to pick me dandelions. They absolutely adore it. And I would get huge piles of dandelions. And I was thinking, well, probably nobody cares because, you know, less dandelions on the lawn seeds but they would just get and I would always be like whoa that's so cool and because I got really excited they got more excited and they just loved like they spend their whole recess not on the playground but picking dandelions <laughs> so sweet <laughs> dandelion cookies no we will talk later for that recipe <laughs> maybe next thing I'll send out is a recipe book dandelion jelly I'll let you try that one <laughs> But one thing that I implemented in my classroom was on Friday afternoon, after, after lunch, we would do um, cleaning the classroom. So Friday preparation, la, la, la. And then we'd sing the fourth commandment in song, remember the Sabbath day, right? That one. And then we would um, have Sabbath celebration. And the way that I would try to gear Sabbath celebration is as much nature as I could put into it. And one time, for example, I had this double-sided sticky stuff, and they stuck it to their shirt, and then they were allowed to go outside and put whatever they wanted onto themselves. <laughs> and then we took that, and we put it on a, on a hard piece of cardboard, and that was their art. And they were allowed to just stick whatever they wanted on themselves, and they thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and I was like, help. And then you have an opportunity to teach them about poison oak and poison ivy, and then you're helping them learn common sense. You know, that was one thing that was been pointed out in this session over this week is the fact that taking them outside helps them to improve in their common sense. And if you talk to our blessed society these days, common sense is needed. <laughs> and then also just as a family, you know, try to go outside more and do things special on the Sabbath. Because what I love about the Sabbath is the Sabbath is a chance to remember that we are the created and we have a creator. And we're made in his image, which means we get to also be creative. And there's so many possibilities. So once again, if you don't know where to start, start on Sabbath. I Love Dirt is another little kid's idea of just tons of little ideas to get them outside. It's not just a little kid idea. Um, there's 52 ideas in here. One of the things, too, that you can do at your school is make a pond. You know, dig in, put a tarp and make a pond. If, if you have a very limited area, make a pond, make a butterfly garden, uh, hang up some bird feeders, you know, just start being like, okay, what are different ways that I can turn my outside into something that's fascinating, that is something to go out and explore instead of, oh yeah, that just looks like the lawn I've seen every day. No, let's stop. There are birds to discover, there are plants to learn, and there are all sorts of things to observe. Sharing, if you were here yesterday and did the wonder hike, sharing nature with children is all about developing more things like that. So for example, going, have you guys ever heard of going on a hike 
where you find all the things that you can't hear. So for example, a leaf changing color or sap going through the tree. Like, or going, like these are all these kind of abstract ideas of going on different things to heighten awareness and, and activate the senses that aren't being used. So these, I think, are super cool books. All right. <laughs> okay, it's 10 10. One more minute. Um, <laughs> so the other idea that I want to give you, if you're trying to restructure a little bit in your learning, is I would start with your science. So in the Adventist system, what we do is we divide our sciences into four things. There's life science, there's human body, there's earth science, and there's physical science. What I would do is those four can be moved around. They don't build upon each other in that year. They build upon each other the next year. So when you, when you start your school year, I love to do year planning. I stink at daily lesson plans because I totally think of ideas in the moment. <laughs> and I try really hard to sit at the desk and be like, okay, this is going to do with my kids. But that sticky your stuff on your thing, that was something that I found it in the closet when I went to look for scissors. And I was like, this is what we're doing for Sabbath celebration. But like, I just, I come up with ideas better in the moment, which is why one year plans work really well for me. So I sit down and I, I start with my science every time. And I say, okay, life science, I'm going to move to the spring, the end of the year, because then I can grow plants with them and they can go home with starters for their garden. And there's a lot of things that are happening in the spring um, for animal observations and different stuff. So life science goes there. I usually stick physical science in the winter because it's harder to do. I start with human body because we can get really active and be outside and start moving and, and all those kind of things. And then earth science, we can look at, you know, pouring, pouring water onto sand and watching erosion happen and different things like that. So I plan my four sciences around how the, the natural seasons are going. And then from there, pretty much everything has to stick, right? So math, I divide into four, and I, I just tell myself, okay, I have nine weeks to accomplish this many lessons. Well, that gives me freedom. So Friday is outside practical math day because I know I only had to get this many chapters done. So because I know I only have to get this much done, I can choose when to play and say, I'm going to go for a shape walk today because I don't have to do a math lesson today because I sat down and realized the broad scheme, this is how many lessons I had to get done. So I work in the four quadrants. I just sit down and I'm like, okay, I divide my lesson plans or my math. Then after I do my math, I do my Bible. After I do my Bible, I do my um, language arts and how many spelling tests they need. There's 30 lessons of spelling. Okay, so one week we skip spelling. And then I can go outside and they can do chalk. And how many? And I just do a live spelling bee or something like that. And as much as I can, I try to create Fridays to be outside days because I've sat down and I have stress relief because I know my aim goal, right? I know this is how many I need to get done. And so it's not stressful to me or I need to work a little faster because I got behind and that's okay because I know where I'm ticking. And that has been how I transformed my classroom to being outdoors more. I use the curriculum. I stay in the parameters because that's safe and it feels good and I'm just not always sure. But when it's coming soon, standard-based teaching, then we have a lot more freedom because we understand that we're just getting this one objective and you can start tearing things out of your workbooks. But that's big and scary and that's okay. We don't have to go there now. But if you plan, then you have the freedom. And so I make the one-year plan. One-year plans is what have gotten me the most freedom. And yeah, I think that I said enough. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go outside because every day that has been helpful. And I'm sure that I will 
think of more things to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, I covered all the bases I wanted to, but I know that I have many more cool things to share. So let's go outside and let's learn how to measure a tree. So I'm not a teacher. I get to go camping with kids week in, week out. But this is kind of where I, I can still be an outdoor educator because these are things that I'll be doing on my camping trips week in, week out and tying in the educational elements um, while we're out camping. So um, in Australia, I know we've got all sorts of wildlife which will kill you, but the reality of it is, is trees are the things which are most likely kill you. Um, the company I work for, the only death we've had is a tree falling on someone. So this is, it's true, um, but this is just something that we actually do, which you can tie straight into a maths class. It's a super fun way to get outside and tie some maths into what you're doing. Um, my favorite one, especially for the kids, is you don't even need your sticks. And it's really fun. You literally just stick your head between your legs and you look real silly and kids love it. It's a heap of fun. Um, so this is, what, it, what we're doing is you've got a height of a tree and we're figuring out the height by coming out to a distance that you're 45 degree. You know, like a triangle's got like 180 degrees in all of it. So 45, 45, 90. And if it's 45 and 45, that height and that, and then you can just measure out that distance. And so that's, that's a concept of what we're gonna do now. So. So the base of the tree to the top of the tree, and when you look between your head, you're putting your eyes essentially to the ground, which creates, and you're looking to where you can just see the top of the tree, and that's your 45 degree angle. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So that's the concept with sticking your head between your legs. That one's more just a bit of fun than a bit more accurate. So the next thing we can do is with stick, there's, there should be enough sticks for everyone, but you get a stick and you're measuring from your armpit, because that's in line with your eyes, uh, to roughly middle of your fingers, and we snap it off. And then you can hold it in your hand, and you hold the bottom of your fist to the bottom of the tree, and then you have to move forwards or backwards until the top lines up with the top of the tree and it creates the same thing because that triangle in here because that length is the same as that length creates your 45 degree and so you can walk in and out until that works so you can all have a play with that and then you obviously have to measure from where you're standing to the base of the tree you can pull out tape measures a really cool thing you can do as well with kids, which is fun, is you can pre-measure out. I'm from Australia, so everything's meters. You guys work in feet and something else. Um, so you can measure it out and you can get them to pace that out, just an average walking pace, or you can do it like them stepping. So they can actually then measure without a tape measure because they've learned it. Obviously year by year they grow and their pace changes a bit, but it's a really fun way that they can just be like, okay, this is where I am. I know that for me, I think it's 
140 paces is 100 meters for me. Um, so sorry if you're working in feet in inches, I work in meters. So I know 140 of my paces is 100 meters. I can then go, okay, from here to the tree, I can pace that out and a little bit of, you know, division and I can have a rough idea of that height in a really simple manner. Yeah, so there's an idea in your worksheet actually about math. And so taking, yeah, you're good, you can stay there. Um, taking your hand and like letting the kids learn how big their hands are and going around because how many of you guys have been asked like how big something is and you have no idea? We stink at like if how high, if you went inside the church, how high is the ceiling inside there? And some of you might be really good at it. Most of us are really terrible at it. My, my father always asked me like how big was the church you built for Maranatha? I don't know. How do I not know? I've, I've built how many Maranatha churches, you know, but I don't have a concept of, of space. But if you start with your kids and you let them learn that an inch is about this big, you know, okay, that's about the size of their thumb and let them go along and measure how much in a parking lot or they have sticks. And so they just have a concept of an inch is this big, a foot is this big. And it's super cool because then they just know all that, that yeah, that, that slide is about 12 feet tall or, you know, whatever things. If they start using their bodies as the rulers, measure from head to toe and then let them lay down and see how big their playground is. And they measure themselves from head to toe. So thanks for that idea. That's a really practical one. If you don't know where to start, just let them have a spatial awareness of how big their bodies are. And then when they go to measure things, they just have a comprehension of all sorts of cool things. And that's the point of measuring. Pair out the measuring pages in your math textbook because you taught them how to measure in a very awesome way, <laughs> in a more practical, real-life way. Okay, let them yep. measure trees. So there's a pile of sticks here that I know the fun part's collecting the sticks, but for time, <laughs> I collected them for you. Grab sticks. Um, there's, pl there's plenty of trees around. Have a play around, and then there'll be a couple more little tips you can do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of where you, it's roughly where your fingers start. One thing when you are outside, we are teaching principle more so than we are like exactness. That's something to consider when you're outside. Is your stick perfectly straight? No, but is your tree perfectly straight? No. Is your arm straight? Yeah, you're holding your arm straight. Like this tree, to be honest, I'd probably have to walk forward a fair way. And it's, and it's a roughly. Everything's roughly. It's a principle. So you're lining up. Yeah. You're lining up the bottom with the base of the tree and the top with the top of the tree. Yeah. And for anyone listening, yards is the term they use. Okay. So just a quick reminder, the base, the base of your hand, you're lining up with the bottom of the tree where the tree meets the ground. And then the top of the tree is where the tree and the sky meet. You walk forwards and backwards to figure it out. And you'll be surprised. There's oftentimes I'm like, I need to walk backwards. I'm like, this isn't getting any better. And then I start walking this way. And I'm like, oh, that was better or the opposite. It's just a fun way to actually do it for yourselves. Well, then that's that's where you know so you where the height of the tree. Yep. And then both both ends matter. Okay. So, so the bottom. The bottom of the tree. Yep. Is the top of your stick. Above the tree. So then you'll have to move towards it. 
And remember, it's always going to be a roughly. <laughs> I look. It remember this is rough principles, and the 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 trick is to ensure that your arm is also sitting at ninety degrees to your body. So if you're lifting or dropping it, it will make it's it's roughly in this vicinity. I, and then from there, obviously you can. I pace out meters in Australia, so it's about. Very, conf very confused oh, classroom. I, I, I oh. feel good about it. <laughs> okay, so how many was it, meters? I, from where I was, roughly 20 meters. Well, that's the next thing I was going to talk about. Yeah. Well, and see, that's that's where we use. I use it. We're going, okay, I'm not going to measure the distance so much, but I can work out, okay, if that tree just fell in a perfect pivot from the base of the tree, just boom, well, this is roughly where the top of it is. So if I camp here, I'm safe. That's how I use it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, once everyone's in, I'll, I guess I'll try re-explain it. It sounds like I left you guys a little confused. So it's, there is a lot of principle in it. There's gonna be some rufflies, but because that length's similar when you hold it the base will be at the base of the tree the top will be at the top of the tree when you're eyeballing it up and then you, when the base is at the base and the top is at the top then that's roughly the height of the tree so if you wanted to measure it you could put it there and measure it to the base um you can do angles with it you can create a clotometer with a protractor. Clotometer just measures angles. I know that it seems like there's probably more elementary school teachers than high school te teachers. Um, but with high school, you can definitely start playing in a uh, trigonometry stuff with this stuff really easily. Um, not so handy for elementary. I think elementary, this is more, you can just go out and have a bit of fun and play around. Like, this well, is how we can see awareness And spatial awareness is, is needed in every grade, right? And then the other thing I was gonna say too is it's really crucial, I think, the stick. Breaking that stick. Some of the sticks maybe weren't broken at the right spot because it's supposed to be where your fingers start, right? Yeah. So if, 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 if it was a little bit longer, that also is going to make it so your stick didn't come out right, right? So where you broke your stick, it ends up being crucial too, which then you have to talk about, you know, if I make a building and my building, my measurements, like when I work on Maranatha, if, if one layer of our blocks are just a little bit of off, well, then my whole blocks are in trouble, right? And then now you have a whole spiritual lesson, right? And the fact that if I just let stay in a little bit, now mm. my whole walk is in trouble. So this is, you see how nature just lends itself really quickly to practical life lessons? Because, you know, if I just, you know, cheat on this test a little bit it's not that big of a deal well now all of a sudden you know i can't do math and i'm a, a junior in high school because i blundered my way and i didn't learn the basics taking time to learn the basics are super essential taking time to make sure that i'm being honest in my stick and i'm not just breaking it really quick and running up it'd be a great thing let them make mistakes and then they're staying all over the place and then restart them that's the cool thing about nature education is you have to be not so time bound because let them make a mistake and then say all right so now what were my instructions? Because think about teaching. 
is learning to listen. <laughs> and so if they didn't hear your instructions, well, then you have a huge lesson there that sets you up for success in so many ways in your classroom because they need to learn to listen to instructions. And if they can realize that if I listen well, I'll actually get it done faster and get to go play <laughs> compared to if I go fast now, then later I pay the consequences. Well, then now you're teaching them delayed gratification and in an instant gratification society. Well, that's a huge life lesson. So that was all taught from measuring the height of a tree. And you can see, I can, you can keep going, right? You can keep going. Another really quick idea, it's in your sheet, but if you took all these sticks and you let them make a shape, so you just started, and then they can go back and they can chart it on a piece of paper in the classroom, and then you let them color the squares red and the circles yellow, and you see how this can go many grades, many different grades, depending on what math level you're teaching them. And then, you can even say, do a, uh, this is another idea in your sheet, is how much is my photo worth? And so you decide before you go out that pine cones are worth three points and sticks are worth 10 points each and rocks are worth five points, whatever. And then they make a picture and then you figure out how much that picture is worth based on the math calculations you made before you went out. So <laughs> the ideas are endless and I had one hour. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Let us pray, and hopefully you don't feel like, well, that was like a jumble, Jim. I'm sorry. I was praying a lot about this session. I said, Lord, please help them to not walk away scratching their heads. If you take away one thing, just take away, everybody needs this. Speak to your churches. Add a nature nugget. Encourage your church to do one Sabbath outside. See if your Sabbath school lessons, Sabbath school classes will go outside. That's one thing that my mom got away with teaching her Sabbath school lessons during COVID because they went outside for cradle roll, you know? So take your kids outside for Sabbath school and um, the Lord will be the instructor. Let's pray. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you make order out of chaos and Lord that you could take mm. all these ideas that I am so excited about and make just one or two make sense in these precious people's brains and so they can start getting themselves and their kids and their loved ones and the people you've put in their circle of influence, Lord, to draw them to your heart. And I thank you so much just for the practical lesson of learning to slow down and do things right the first time when we're measuring even the height of a tree. We love you and we give you our lives, Lord. Use it for your honor and glory. In your name, amen. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.